Good morning. Thank you for being here and going through the snow. I have a lot of things to say. I'm just trying to decide what order to go in. Let's see. I have uh, volunteer opportunities for you. I have events to partake in. One you've already missed, so I won't talk about it. So, it's Sunday, February, it's not February, December 12th. This week, next Saturday, the well, if you aren't familiar with the well, it's a group that's 18 and up, so it's up for interpretation uh, on who can go. But it's 18 and up, and they're meeting downtown on Saturday. What time? Okay, thank you. Four o'clock. I forgot to write that down. The first service, too. Four o'clock at the Christmas tree downtown. Uh, there'll be a scavenger hunt and refreshments and just overall fun. So please, if you'd like to go, the well is having that this Saturday. Uh, also, it has started snowing. So we do need you to volunteer to sign up for snow shoveling. There's a list back there. It's actually pretty full. And we're all the way up until February. So you can just write your name down and maybe come February, March, you know, you don't really need to worry about it. But we would love for the, uh, the list to get filled and we can then take the list down. And I don't have to think about it anymore or announce it ever again. So if you don't want that to happen, you should definitely sign up for snow shoveling. Angel Tree. We have about 10 spots left last time I checked, so it's almost full. If you're not familiar, it's a prison fellowship where we give to children whose biological parent is in prison. And so that is on the newsletter. It's also on our app, and it's all digital. So if you want to give, but you're not familiar with the digital platform, go ahead. It's okay. You can talk to me about it. And we'll probably fill up those spots this week, so that'll be awesome. Next. Christmas Eve happens every year. It is happening this year as well, because it happens every year. So Christmas Eve, we have services at 5 o'clock and 7 o'clock here. If you're in town, family, you know, we would love, love to have you. It's a candlelight service, and uh, that's in a couple weeks because it's coming up quick. So before you get to Christmas Eve, there's still time to get Christmas gifts and purchase coffee. Uh, we have a collaboration with Drink Coffee Do Stuff, and all of those proceeds go to our missions fund. Um, and so that is in the back, and you can get coffee. Again, it's something we're doing now. I don't know if we'll do it ever again. So this may be your only opportunity ever to purchase coffee inside this building. So go ahead and do that. Two more things. Take a deep breath. So the chairs you are sitting in, I know, you think they just get set up and they magically are perfectly, they perfectly fit your knees and your feet, right? They're perfect, right? No one has a problem, do they? That is because they are measured with a ruler, okay? Someone comes in, they shall not be named because they don't want to be named, and comes in every week and measures those chairs to make them so they fit your bodies. <laughs> All right? It is a skill that only he knows. So I would really love to have someone come around and be like, I want to learn that skill too, and I want to be a part of that. It's a great ministry that you get to do without anyone here. No team, no one telling you what to do, no collaboration. 
You just learn how to do it. So if you're sitting there and you're thinking, I can totally do that, that's you. And you can do that. And please come talk to me. We would love someone to train and be able to plug in into that particular ministry. All right, next up, year-end giving. Last announcement. It's 2021. If you are someone that is into taxes and really, like, you know, takes note of all those things. If you want any of your givings to be included in 2021, they have to be in the building or postmarked by 2021. You can't call on January 1st and say, hold on, I have this check for you. It's too late. I'm sorry, it's gonna go into the next year. So please take note again, year end giving, December 31st, 2021 is your last chance to get to get in there. I don't really understand it all, but that's how it works. All right, so thank you very much. I hope you have a great Sunday. Here's Pastor Jesse. Okay, I told the first service, she wasn't that sarcastic when we hired her. <laughs> Hang around the office a little while and that's what you end up with. Hey, if you don't have a Bible this morning, raise your hand, one of the guys we we'll hand you a Bible if you don't have one. Just keep it raised. Turn to James chapter 5. That's where we're going to be this morning, James chapter 5. <clears throat> um, so uh, if you're tuning in online or you're here uh, for the first time, we haven't had a chance to interact. My name is Jesse. I'm part of the team here as well. And um, we are doing a series in Advent. So that, that's just a, a big $1,000 word for, for uh, the coming or the presence it's just a, a, a way to say that, that we're celebrating this reality that Jesus has come, uh, and we're going to celebrate the reality and are celebrating the reality that Jesus is coming again. And so Advent on purpose is, is to be kind of lengthy, so it's usually about four weeks right after Thanksgiving all the way up until Christmas Eve uh, and Christmas Day, and it's just a time for us to to try to step into what it would have been like in the first century uh, church to, to be wondering when is the Messiah coming, what's this going to be like, and then uh, we're, we're all, we all know that Jesus has come, and so we know that reality, and we're also celebrating the fact that Jesus is coming again. Amen? Anybody else excited about that? Yeah, yeah you don't have to say it with so much anger. Yes! <laughs> I am so ready. Get me out of here. Um, all right. Someone just finished their Christmas shopping. Um, uh, one other thing, too, uh, that Amy did mention, just to make you aware, every year um, to kind of celebrate our staff and to just say thank you to the staff, we do a, a, a thing where we open up for you during the month of Christmas to give to the staff for their Christmas uh, bonus or their, their Christmas gift. Uh, so we don't give Christmas bonuses to our staff. We allow you to do that. And so if you want to just on the envelope or online, make mark that it's for the staff, and then we make sure that that goes towards the staff for their Christmas uh, bonus. So I want to make you aware of that. And, of course, just thankful for your guys' support and prayer and encouragement. Uh, obviously, it's super important that we do this together as a family uh, and, and, yeah, just as a, a group of people who are all after the, a common goal, which is to elevate the Lord. So, so here's what we're doing. Um, 
<clears throat> we're, we're doing Advent, so all of the messages the last two weeks and then the next couple weeks, this week and the next one are all, uh, all revolving around Advent, so all about Christmas and the coming uh, of Jesus, the incarnation, God in flesh, that's what we're celebrating, and I'm sure all of you are kind of getting the ball rolling at this point. Most of you, uh, I'm assuming, have your Christmas trees up. Most of you have done some Christmas shopping to some degree. Those of you who haven't, uh, you're probably going to be doing some last-minute shopping at 7-Eleven or at Rayleigh's uh, or Rite Aid. I don't know what they have on their shelves, but uh, uh, we know that uh, it's getting close, man, and my kids are really excited. I'm sure some of you are getting excited. It's a good season for us to, to be reflecting, and there's several different words that are used for the return of the Lord. So like I said, we're going to be out of James chapter 5 uh, this morning, and and uh, there, there's all these kind of big words for the return of the Lord. The return of the Lord is called visible. It's going to be a visible moment. It's going to be an imminent moment. It's called the final moment. There's a finality to it. Uh, the rest of Scripture actually will use the word parousia, which is a Latin word for arrival or presence, that, that God is present uh, with us. Matthew 24 Verse 27 tells us that in, in regards to the second time that Jesus comes, it'll be like lightning from the east uh, as, and, and that it'll shine as far as from the west and the coming of the Son of Man will be just like that, like this big flashing, this big noise. Everyone will see it. Everyone will, will know about it. It's called the appearing or one way that it's called uh, oftentimes is the day of the Lord or the unveiling of the Lord. Now, the day of the Lord is is a way for us to communicate that there's a day coming that we recognize that, that the day that he's going to rule and he's going to reign. There's a day. And the contrast of this is that the day of the Lord is coming and it's a reminder that the day of man is ending, right? If you will, much of our society and our culture is about the day of man. Right? No different than, than in the book of Judges. If you do just kind of a quick survey of Judges, you'll see that in Judges, man did according to what each one wanted to do in their own eyes. It, it, it is basically a day and age of where, where men and women say, I'll do what I want, when I want, how I want, with who I want. Who are you to put boundaries or borders around me? I get to be free. I get to do whatever I want. Uh, that's kind of the, the, the day of man. But Christmas reminds us that the day of the Lord came, right? The day of salvation is here. It's here right now. And the day of the Lord is coming. This visible, uh, uh, imminent, uh, very present moment of Christ is coming again. So we, we celebrate Christmas. Jesus came. And we're celebrating the other Advent, the other parousia that Jesus is coming again. And that that day will be marked by a day of God and an ending of the day of man. So here's what's happening in James before we read together, just so you kind of understand the first part of James. Uh, James, if you remember, who is James? Theologian people out there, people who love the Bible, you probably know a little bit about James. Who is he? He's just the half-brother of Jesus, right? So this is a guy who... who came after Jesus, was born to Joseph and Mary. And so Jesus and James have the same mom, but a different dad, okay? 
That's really important distinction. And we're also told that, that basically James didn't believe that his older brother was the Messiah. Any younger brothers in here relate? Right? So you can imagine what it was like. Yeah, it's that, that kind of, you know, that, that joke that'll go on and on even after I'm dead in regards to how hard it was for James to be growing up and for his parents to continually ask James, can't you be more like Jesus? So he didn't believe, uh, and then later he comes to a place, James comes to a place of belief, and he writes this book. It's a highly practical book. Uh, It's kind of the New Testament equivalent of Proverbs, so there's a lot of wisdom in it. Basically, it tells us that faith without works is dead. In fact, the early church fathers really wrestled when they were canonizing scripture. They, They really wrestled with the book of James. Should we even put this book in the Bible because it had so much works-based kind of stuff in it that, that there was this thought that maybe somehow the, the new Christians would read this and think that they were saved by works. And they came to realize, no, 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 James is an important book for us to understand that Christian life, the Christian life that truly believes in Jesus is actually going to be doing something with their faith. And what ends up happening in the place that we're at is James has spent a little bit of time actually talking to those who were rich in the church. And basically, he's told those who are rich in the church as well as those who are rich in the culture, hey, you're oppressing Christians. This is essentially what was happening. The, the, the rich were oppressing the, the poor, the faithless, uh, rich individual who has it all is kind of rubbing in the face of those who are poor. And so James is writing to these Christians who are wrestling through hardship and difficulty. And so that's where we're going to pick up this morning. So if you're able to this morning, uh, would you do me a favor, turn to James 5, and if you can stand with me as we honor God's word, we're going to read from verses 7 through 11. Okay, we're going to start out with a Super fun word here in verse 7, chapter 5. Be patient. Fun word, right? Be patient, therefore, brothers, until, here it is, the parousia, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the Perusia, the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord, and behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And so, Lord, we ask that through these few verses in this season of Christmas, that you would build within our hearts a greater anticipation for your return. We trust you for it in Jesus' name, the church said. Amen. Please take a seat. Okay, so remember, he's, he has been kind of building up to this reality that we're going to struggle, we're going to go through suffering, we're going to go through hardship. I'm sure many of you are very well aware of James chapter 1, verse 2. This is kind of one of those verses that we uh, use as Christians to help comfort us through hardships and struggle because we know 
All of us kind of go through hardships and struggle at some point. This is really the premise of what, what James is trying to accomplish in his writing that we're going to be wrestling and we're going to be fighting and we're going to be hurting and we're going to be going through some stuff. So if you look at James chapter 1, verse 2, notice what he says early on in the letter. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet what? Trials of various kinds. So here's this language of hardship and difficulty. Um, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, speaking of Jesus in his uh, suffering and his hardship, says this, when he, speaking of Jesus on the cross, was reviled, he did not revile in return, and when he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So James understands a couple things. One, he's saying, he's saying early on in James, as well as, well as in this passage, you're going to go through many, or you're going to go through various kinds of trials and tribulations. And the number of those trials and tribulations is greater than you could ever think or imagine. You can't count them. You can't write them down. There's just too many, right? That this is essentially what James is saying. And then he says, you must, when you encounter various trials, when you encounter various hardships, you're going to have to be able to trust the Lord in these things and count it joy. So you're going to have to look at the struggle and go, okay, God is, is involved in this struggle somehow, some way. So really the, the whole theme of, the, of Christmas this morning is this understanding that, that we get through our suffering, our trials, our myriad of troubles through waiting on the day of the Lord, through being patient and waiting on God. Now, the, the different kind of struggles we have, I think, most of you probably are familiar with to some degree or another, but there's at least three categories of the kinds of suffering we can experience. There's the physical kind of suffering, pain, addiction, persecution, temptation, or, or how about disease? Does that sound familiar to anybody? The, the struggle of disease, the trial and tribulation of disease, that's a physical kind of pain. The Bible actually it tells us that we're going to experience physical kinds of pain. It's, it's going to happen to you. We see Jesus healing lepers. We see him healing people who are lame and blind and deaf. So we see him approaching people physically all of the time. And we know that this physical kind of struggle and trial and tribulation isn't new to anyone. In fact, just this week, the staff listened to uh, an old reading from Charles Haddon Spurgeon uh, on uh, the disease of, uh, who remembers, what was the, what was the name of the disease? Cholera, thank you. That, that during um, Spurgeon's tenure, there were hundreds of people during uh, his pastorate that were dying of cholera. And he writes in directly uh, to the, 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 the people, his people, and encourages them to maintain course and to maintain preaching the gospel and to maintain their relationship with Jesus in the midst of the fact that people are dying. In fact, when you hear Spurgeon talk about death in his letter, it's as if, to be honest with you, he has a better comprehension, a better understanding, a better humility of the passing from this life to the next one. And so we know that we're going to experience these kind of issues. We also know that we're going to experience not just physical pain, but how about mental pain? Depression or anxiety, disappointment, fear, heartaches, having a broken heart. Maybe it's just being distracted or being 
bored or having a lack of zeal or passion, uh, nervous breakdowns and stress. Just heard again of another young individual losing their life to drug use. It's just this constant, ongoing thing that we have that we now are starting to recognize to a certain degree. We have people who are dying for physical reasons, and we have people who are dying for mental reasons. And the mental health side of things is, is getting worse and worse and worse. And then there's the third dynamic, which I don't think the culture or the world really highlights very well, but the spiritual world. There are spiritual attacks. Sometimes you have physical attacks just because you're not eating well, right? Sometimes you're not doing well physically because you were born with a particular condition or you just you know, you got the coronavirus because you don't take vitamin D and you don't take zinc and all that. Those, those kind of things that are going to be important as we enter into winter, right? The, the, you don't exercise. You don't eat well. Sometimes things happen to us because we're, we're not diligent with our own health. And then sometimes things happen to us because hardships, death and family, depression, anxiety. And, and then other times it's just spiritual attacks. Satan doesn't like you. He doesn't appreciate you. He hates the church. And every now and then things can just appear in your life because it's a spiritual attack. Peter calls these things fiery trials. Job actually says in one place, as one of his friends says, man is made for trials and tribulations just like sparks go upwards in the sky. It's just a way to say we're going to experience hardship and we're going to experience difficulty. But we also know that James, as well as other places in the Bible, tell us that these kind of trials and tribulations, they actually have a role to play in the believer's life. These struggles and these difficulties, whether they're physical, whether they're mental, or whether they're spiritual, whether there's something that happened to you or it's something that you've done because you've committed a sin, whatever it may be, we know that God allows these things in our lives because they, they perfect us, they change us, they make us into people that are more like Christ. To quote Spurgeon, Spurgeon says this, he says, fiery trials make golden Christians. I like that line. It doesn't make weak Christians, passive Christians, but strong ones. He goes on and says, trials make room for consolation. There's nothing that makes man have a big heart like a great trial. I have found that those people who have no sympathy for their fellows, who never weep for sorrows, or very, or very seldom have any of their own, for great hearts could be made only by great troubles. See, what Spurgeon is saying, which others have said, is that, that difficulty, hardship, pain, suffering, whether it's physical, mental, or spiritual, those kind of heartaches, those kinds of teary nights, those kind of emotional moments create strong, golden Christians. Right? I, I've heard another author say something along the lines of oftentimes those who've had the most impact in the world for the positive are those who've experienced some of the most heartbreaking, struggling things you could think or imagine. Right? If your marriage is difficult, if, if your kids are difficult, if your job is difficult, if life is difficult, when you suffer well, as Jesus shows us how to suffer well, it actually makes us into a greater group of people. This is what James is kind of saying in regards to this book as a whole. Hey, if, if you go through these struggles and these tribulations and, and these hardships, there's going to be a perfection to your faith, but you've got to keep your head held high. And one of the ways that we do that is, is James says, basically, don't retaliate. Right? When the world persecutes you, 
when the world talks nonsense about you, when the world doesn't understand you, when the, when the world says that you are a, a sojourner, you're a stranger, you're an alien, you're, you're one of those crazy Christians, you're one of those right-wingers, right? You know those statements? Right, where the world wants to put you in a box, and they want to call you all kinds of certain labels because of what you are. I mean, isn't it, doesn't that bother you? at all does it does it get to you a little bit that the culture wants to say that you're you are a republican or you are this or you are that or for me it's it's like no i'm 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 to be identified with my relationship with jesus christ i'm going to be marked as a follower of christ i'm to be somebody that says i don't lead or follow after those who run after the culture right i lead towards and follow after the one who is my Messiah. I make Jesus my Lord. I make him my king, and I'm going to allow him to reign and rule over my life, which means that when things go well, I'm going to praise God, and when things go bad, I'm going to praise God, because regardless of the trial or tribulation, I need to understand that I need to have a long-suffering, patient heart. I mean, do you see what he says? He's okay. James says, James basically, don't retaliate. Instead, look at verse 7. We, we just read it. I told you, chapter 5. It's a super popular word. Therefore, because of these other things I've just mentioned, because of the context of the letter, therefore, be patient. Wait. Right? Those of you who have kids, most of us in the room, this isn't true of us anymore, but you can remember at least, or at least you can live vicariously through, through your children. How many of you have your kids are every single day they're counting down how many days there are till Christmas? Huh? You laugh, so I'm assuming. Right? Every day my kids get up and they have, they have their little thing they do. They go through all their little things and then they, they open the little hatch thing on the little book and it has a little thingy in there and it tells you what day it is. And you know what's really interesting at 43 years of age? Right? At 43 years of age... I fall asleep on December 1st, and I wake up, and it's December 25th, right? But, I, but my kids, it's like, December 1st, oh, it's so long. December 2nd, oh, Christmas is never going to be here, right? Am I right? Like my kids every day, it's like, it's just taking forever. And my kids, my kids basically get like three Christmases. They get one with like my family. They get one with me. They get one on Christmas Eve. Like my kids are told, like, quit counting down the days. And then Jolie, she was born in, in February. And so as soon as Christmas is over, she starts asking, well, is my birthday now here? It's like, give me a break. <laughs> you have enough toys. You have enough things. But this is what Advent does. This is why the church takes four weeks because Advent is supposed to be slow on purpose. Patiently, graciously, lovingly waiting for the return of Christ. There, there, there should be something. And my only hope is for the Holy Spirit to push this in, into your heart. But there should be something beautiful about the fact that we are waiting patiently, longingly, for the return of Christ. And, and look at, 
James is kind of a tough book because he's like, you've got to do stuff, okay? You, you can't just be passive in your Christianity. Like, your Christianity has to mean something. And look at verse 8. He doubles down again. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord. Oh, and then verse 9. Right? It's, not like, it's not like he's just saying, okay, listen, you're an American, and I want to offend you, so I'm going to tell you to be patient. He's like, no, you're an American, so I'm going to offend you twice. Be patient, oh, and, st- and don't complain. Like, don't grumble. Don't whine about your circumstance, your situation. Don't, don't, don't express your dissatisfaction, your, your, your annoyance with, with what's happening. Right? We should be marked in a season where we definitely, I think, many of us feel misunderstood. Many of us feel like we're ostracized. Many of us feel like we don't belong. And our job is to not get frustrated and angry with people around us, but, but rather to share the love of Christ, to be patient around them, to be long-suffering around them, to, to show them there's, there's a, there's, we, we handle our suffering differently than the rest of the world because the gospel gives us an understanding, understanding of our suffering. So there's kind of two, two warnings here. One, the Bible's kind of calling us, hey, don't, don't be really impatient with people, <laughs> and don't be impatient with God. Because whenever something happens to us, whatever it is, we inevitably like to do exactly what Adam did in the Garden of Eden, that's blame shift, right? So you remember in the Garden, Jesus, God, gives Adam a beautiful woman. She shows up in the Garden, and then they go and eat the apple, and then they realize they're naked, and they clothe themselves, and they hide from God. God comes into the Garden and says, what have you done? And Adam's response is, it was the woman. He's blame shifting. It's the first thing to do. Whenever, all the way from day one, first thing to do, instead of owning your sin, owning your guilt, owning your shame, it was the woman. So he blames the woman, but he goes a step further. Those of you who know the story, he doesn't just say, it was the woman. What does he say? It was the woman you gave me. Right, this, this is the fragility, the stupidity of mankind. Instead of owning and confessing and repenting of our sin, we blame other people for it, and inevitably we can end up blaming God for it. God, it's you that did this. You brought the virus. You're the one who's allowing these things to happen. And it, that puts the focus on the grumbling and the complaining rather than, okay, Lord, I'm going to patiently endure and go through this as you see fit. I think I have a um, quote on here in regards to... See how well I stuck to my notes here. All kinds of good content. You don't get to read here. Hold on. You don't get that one either. This one on Job. The example of Job encourages those suffering trials to patiently endure, realizing the Lord's purpose is to strengthen them, perfect them, and in the end to richly bless them. In the words of the Apostle Paul, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. And so we have to consider that God allows these things to happen for our good and ultimately his glory. That's kind of the, the million-dollar quote there, the, for our good and his glory. Now, how do we do it? How do we get to this place where we, we patiently wait 
and, and we trust on God, and we've got four hopes. I want to give you the four hopes, okay? Four hopes to patiently endure, to patiently suffer through. The first one, it comes from the title. It's obvious. We've been talking about it all morning. The first hope we have is that coming of the Lord. Our great hope is the reality that Jesus is coming back. That's how we get through our pain and suffering with patience because we know this day is coming. That, that's how we can say, like Paul said, that, that the, the sufferings of this world are nothing in comparison to the riches of God. Right? He, he actually says it even in an even better way than that. He, he says these momentary light afflictions, right? the, the depression, the anxiety, the physical pain, the mental pain, the spiritual demonic battle, all of those things are nothing compared to the coming of the Lord. We're anticipating that return. Uh, one author says, says this, the more persecuted a church is, the more eagerly it anticipates the return of Jesus Christ. How good is that? The more a church is persecuted, the more it desires the return of Jesus. That's what this quote just said. He goes on and says, conversely, an affluent, indulgent, worldly church, on the other hand, a church with all of its needs being met, a church with all of the money in the coffers, a church with all of the volunteers that it could possibly think or imagine, that church has very little interest in the Lord's return. Do you hear what the author is essentially saying? He's saying, listen, when you're poor, downtrodden, and you know you have need, you long for and desire for the coming of Christ. But if you're fat and happy and you're eating McDonald's all day long spiritually, you're not going to care about the return of Jesus because you're content. Essentially, what the author is saying is we need a little bit the taste of a broken world because the taste of a broken world helps us long for the perfect world that's to come. Right? If everything tastes great and if everything's awesome in this culture for you, you have no desire for the next. It's like there was a real big deal when, when uh, a guy by the name of Rob Bell wrote a book called Love Wins. And the whole premise of the book, Love Wins, the whole premise of the book is that nobody's going to hell. Like there is no, there's no hell. Love is, love is going to win. And then we, we get into this this deal when you start thinking about, okay, well, love wins. Well, what about God's longing and desire to hate sin and evil and, and wickedness and brokenness, right? It, 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 later on in, in Rob Bell's book, he, he basically goes on to say, you know, along with some other authors and other theologians who've made the same mantra, this is all about, this life is all about living your best life now. Have you heard that? I mean, have you heard that term, live your best life now? Well, if your best life is now, well, what does that say about heaven? Doesn't sound like it's going to be so great. If my best life is now, why do I need heaven? All of that to be said, the trials, the tribulations, the hardship, the being patient and the long-suffering creates within you a desire for heaven itself. How many of you have ever gone out on a hot summer's day, worked in the yard, sweat just like crazy and then someone hands you a tall glass of ice water there's nothing like it is there i mean there is nothing like a nice tall glass of ice water when you're really really sweaty am i right and you drink that thing and you go this is what he's saying and then he likens it he gives us a picture he says you need a picture let me give you a picture the farmer that's the illustration James uses. He says it's like the farmer. 
Now think about what the farmer does. What does the farmer do? The farmer, I have a lawn, so this is the, the only way I can liken it. I have, I have a lawn. I know you've heard much about my lawn. I'm proud of my lawn, right? And there's certain things you have to do with grass to keep your grass nice and green. You've got to water it. You've got to fertilize it twice a year. I've been told biosol is the best stuff to use. Go biosol. Put that stuff on there. Smells wonderful. Smells awful. Put it on there. You've got to fertilize it. Oh, and, and now I have a new habit because we've got a dog. My dog likes to pee on the grass. Stupid dog. <laughs> and in order, in order to keep the grass green, I don't know if you know this or not, you have to actually damage the lawn even more so. So it turns yellow. That's how you know it was peed on. Just like yellow snow. Don't eat that stuff either. Some of you are new to the area. Just, just a tip. Take the claw. Take this little claw. Go through. Rip up all that grass. Take some seed. Put some seed down. Put a little topsoil on it. Make sure it's wet and moist. Pretty soon you get some new grassland. You know. The process continues. Fertilize. Sun. Take care of the grass. Water it. And then at a certain point in time, the farmer, the gardener, no matter how much work he's put in, no matter how much effort he's put in, he has to go to sleep, doesn't he? This is what he's saying in regards to the farmer. He's okay, listen, the day of the Lord's coming, you've got to be patient. So what do you got to do? You've got to work hard. You've got to dig in the soil. You've got to preach the gospel. You've got to be a student of the word. But then at the end of the day, you've got to just let go and let God do what God's going to do. Right? God's going to do something in your life whether you want him to or not because he's a good sovereign father who loves you. Did you know that? That, that just because you decide one day you don't want to grow as a Christian anymore, God doesn't go, oh, okay. Because he's a good father, so he's going to put things in your life. He's going to put that very slow person in front of you on the freeway. He is. And my mom used to tell me when I was a kid, I hope one day you have a kid just like you so you can see what you put me through. It worked. It worked. Right? Like God puts, God, God gives you the kids that you have because he knows those are the kids you need for your sanctification. God gives you the boss, the people, the spouse, the family situation you're in, the community you're in. He sovereignly places those things in your, <clears throat> in your life. And your job is to say, okay, God, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be like the farmer. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to get up in the morning. I'm going to plant the seed. I'm going to cast out the soil. I'm going to do all the things that I'm supposed to do. And then at the end of the day, I'm going to just trust the Lord. Right? And, and, and just so you know, this is a practice that your leadership has had to make over the last 18 months. Well, what are we going to keep doing? How are we going to handle things? We're going to keep preaching the word, and we're going to let Jesus build his church. Right? We don't build the church. We don't make people come into the room. We don't make people get saved. We, we don't make people get sanctified. We don't make better marriages. We, we don't do that. We preach Jesus. Jesus fixes the problems. And then he fixes them as he sees fit. He fixes them as he sees fit. You know, there's a lot of things that you guys see in me you want me to fix, I'm sure. God's kind of working on a different timetable. And he, isn't that... Come on, how many of you have been married for at least 10 years and somewhere along the year eight, you were like, man, I really, the Lord needs to fix this in my spouse. 
and then year 15 comes around and all of nothing ever was none of the things you've wanted fixed got fixed but a lot of other things did do you, you know what i'm saying i think i convoluted that more than i needed to so i've been married 18 years there have been things that if that if i was god i'd have fixed in my spouse 18 years ago and i'm sure she would have said the same thing and you know what those things god has kept there probably for my sanctification and he's improved into my wife all kinds of other things i never even saw because he's the creator she's the created i'm the created you're the created he's in charge of how we grow growing's a funny thing as a christian isn't it because nobody goes home just like no tree ever goes home and goes grow 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 I've tried to do that. I've sat home in my bed and go, get ripped, get ripped. Come on, get ripped. 18 years, still not working. Right? It's, okay, God, what do you want to do in my life? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work. I'm going to water. I'm going to fertilize. I'm going to hope, and then I'm going to look. I'm going to look for an even greater hope, my next hope. I'm going to look for the hope of the prophets. That's what James says. Look to the prophets. The prophets who suffered before, the prophets who wrestled, the prophets who struggled. He's essentially saying, if you want to know how to wait patiently for the day of the Lord, he's saying, if you really want to truly appreciate Christmas for what Christmas is worth, you've got to know your Old Testament prophets. It's, a, it's another encouragement. Go study the Bible. So you can see what it's like to be like King David who made mistakes, but God still lifted up. To see what it was like to be like Solomon, to have everything that you could ever think or imagine and to come to the conclusion that really all there is is to serve Lord, the Lord. That's all I should be doing. To look back and see where Abraham had faith or where Moses stood up and, and had courage, where he was doubtful, where he cried out to God to be like her and to be someone that's willing to hold up Moses' arms. He's saying, he's saying, you've got to go back in the Old Testament. You've got to see how these men and these women, they really show us how to wrestle through patiently, through long-suffering and through hurt and pain, waiting for the coming of the Messiah. They longed to see what we have seen. And now we're longing to see something that no one has seen yet. Jesus has come, and he's brought peace to the world in the form of a baby. And now he's ascended on high. He sits at the right hand in the throne of heaven next to God himself. And there is a day, an imminent day, that you and I know not of, where he will come like a thief, and he will appear, and he will be back to renew this world. In the meantime, we continue to wait patiently and endure our suffering because, man, the day of the Lord is coming soon. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your work in our lives. Thank you for the fact that we get to anticipate and wait for you. We pray, Lord, that you would come soon. We pray, Lord, you continue to do a work in our church, though Lord, we know we don't deserve it, but we know, Lord, that you're gracious and kind. We 
Pray in advance for Christmas Eve that you would um, place upon our hearts those that we would invite and that they would come. And as they come, Lord, they would find salvation. And, and for anyone here that is hurting inside, I pray they would surrender themselves to you fully. They would make you Savior. They would make you Lord. And they would follow you and know you. And I pray that for all of us, Lord, that you would strengthen our commitment and our resolve to worship you and you alone. We trust you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.